Lucha-Masks.com, in partnership with Mass Republic, give you personal protective masks to keep you Lucha strong in the fight versus COVID-19. With world-class luchadors Blue Demon Jr., the Lucha Brothers, L.A. Park, Ultimo Dragon, Cain Velasquez, Conan, and so much more. Head to lucha-masks.com and you too can become a masked warrior. Lucha-masks.com, powered by Pro Wrestling Revolution. You are listening to the Lucha Central Podcast Network. And now, luchacentral.com presents the business of the business. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Business of the Business, the only podcast that takes you inside the world of officially licensed merchandise and how it gets made with an emphasis on the pro wrestling and lucha libre businesses. Welcome back to the show, and this week I have a very special guest, and it's a very timely episode, though I don't think we actually meant for it to be timed this way. Um, Normally... This would be the week of San Diego Comic-Con. And for the last number of years, Mass Republic has been there every year. Last couple years actually promoting our Luchaverse comic book series. But um, also, we went just a number of years before that because it was a great way to bring Mass Republic into the pop culture into the uh, conversation, so to speak, and to be part of Comic-Con being there for new releases, being there for um, having our stars sign at the booth. And one of the reasons that we've been able to be so successful with Comic-Con is because of the people we partner with when we go. A number of years back, we formed an alliance for Comic-Con, I guess you could say, so to speak, with Michael Kingston's Headlocked comic. Uh, Michael has been creating and writing Headlocked for a number of years now. And we'll get into all of that on the show this week because he is my guest. And right now, he is in the final stages of a Kickstarter for his latest comic uh, from Headlock, Tales from the Road 2. But uh, we'll get into all those details, including why Kickstarter, what the difference of his approaches is when he's doing Kickstarter versus selling direct to consumers, how he works with the wrestlers that are involved with Headlock Comic, because Headlocked is not just a comic book about the pro wrestling industry. Um, And as you'll hear us describe it, it's really kind of a gritty drama, premium cable-esque drama about uh, the pro wrestling business, but Michael has always worked with pro wrestlers in a very unique way when it comes to creating and building uh, his his world. Uh, from Jerry Lawler, the WWE Hall of Famer, doing the covers, to these Kickstarter versions that he makes where he has stories on which he collaborates with wrestlers and artists that um, are also wrestlers many times. So it's a really unique perspective, some version of licensing that we haven't really touched on before and probably won't anytime again soon and the world of publishing and comic books and how that all relates so my guest with me today is michael kingston of headlocked comic or comics, because there's been multiple of them. Um, And for those of you who are not familiar with it, while I will let Michael give his uh, own version of it, uh, to me, Headlock Comic has always kind of been, if HBO or Showtime or Premium Cable decided to do a drama about professional wrestling, then they should be looking to headlocked for what it is that they would be producing, essentially. Uh, it, it's a, a great, unique story world uh, centered around pro wrestling. But on top of that, uh, as part of the business model of headlocked, uh, Michael also does a lot of work directly with talents coming up with stories 
for, I guess, what I would call uh, supplemental versions of Headlocked. And that's really what I'm hoping that we get a chance to focus on today, because I don't think it's really ever been much talked about before. And that's obviously the uh, kind of center of this podcast, where we talk about how officially licensed uh, merchandise gets made. And so uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Mike. And uh, Mike, why don't you, I guess, start it off by giving our listeners, uh, before we even get into how you started it, what to you, what is uh, Headlock? And if someone pick up a copy of Headlock or start with, I guess, the first volume, what is that journey that they're about to enter into? Uh, you kind of you kind of nailed it for me, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's a kid who's a theater major in college who sort of falls in love with wrestling unexpectedly, and it sort of takes over his life. He gets the bug, he quits school, and it's his uh, journey through the wrestling business. So, to me, it's it's. Headlock's always been about two things. It's been about like the art. Wrestling is an art form and uh, and about identity. So like how how do you choose the things that you present to the world? And, you know, obviously as a wrestler, you have two of those things. You know, you have your sort of character and then you, you know, who you are as a, as a human. So um, I kind of, you know, those are some themes that we like to play around with. But, uh, you know, ultimately I, I feel like it's a, it's a HBO style drama and it's the kind of thing that you might, you know, you tune in at like 10 o'clock at uh, 10 o'clock on a Sunday night to watch. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, that's kind of the feel that people get when they read it. So I guess before we move forward in terms of the story and how you have developed your business model, um, let's, let's, I guess, take a step back. What's your background and how did you come to decide that, headlocked was going to be the focus point of your journey in comics um because now what i don't even how many years now have you been been doing headlocked uh it's it's uh i mean in terms of publishing we published the first one in 2008 um but uh you know obviously there were some years before that because uh you know much like wrestling comics is very uh it's a very weird, like, I don't know, like there's no rules kind of thing and no one really tells you what you're supposed to do. It's a little more, under, you know, it's a little more out there now in the same way that wrestling is now. But, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years ago, it was just, you know, <laughs> how do you do it? You know, so and I mean, I made every possible mistake. So there was a couple of years of flailing around just trying to find a door. And then I realized I kind of had to make my own door. So I definitely, definitely understand uh, that, that approach to business um, because I, I mean, that's, that's why this podcast exists uh, in a way is, is making those doors because they didn't exist or because e- either I wasn't knocking on uh, the doors that wanted me or the doors that I wanted to knock on didn't exist. So I, I absolutely understand that. So I guess take us back. What was um, your personal journey to get to launching Headlock? So, you know, I loved wrestling and comics my whole life and just nobody ever made good wrestling comics. They were always sort of character based, like weird action things like Undertaker fighting demons. And, you know, I mean, the perils of licensed properties. Sometimes people license things because they think they can make a buck at it and not necessarily because it's something they love. And I think that's where the disconnect comes sometimes between a product and its fan base. You you make this thing because you think it's, you know, it's, it's a hot thing or whatever, and then you're going to make it, but you don't really care about it. And people can feel that. Um, So, and that's always what I felt with wrestling comics. And so I, uh, you know, I wanted to make my own. So I wrote up a pitch for Headlocked and I put together a business plan and I took it to publishers. <laughs> so the first mistake is, you know, people are like, well, where's your art? And I'm like, well, I'm not an artist. I'm a writer. They're like, well, you got to get an art. I'm like, why would I get art? I'm a writer and you're a comic <laughs> book company. And you start to learn, you know, just, I guess, you know, from the outside, it looks like such a glamorous form of entertainment and i think it's very similar to wrestling you know like when you're watching as a fan like you think it's this 
you know, this giant, you know, and maybe, you know, WWE is, but obviously when you watch the independence, it's, it's much more of a shoestring operation. And I think that's how comics is too, but you don't see that as a fan. So ultimately a good chunk of comics, the way most comics are made outside of the biggest, you know, the biggest of the big is <laughs> you basically make it and then you pay for the production of it. And then if you're lucky, you'll get, you know, you'll get some stuff on the back end and you know, a lot of publishers are basically uh, an editor and a distributor for the most part. Um, so it's uh, it's it's weird. You know what I mean? It's nothing that I understood or expected. So I, I, you know, I flailed around there for a while. I got an artist and then that artist didn't work out. And then I got an artist who did work out. And we made our first book. And then I learned about the direct market. So, you know. I go to comic book stores all the time and buy comics and you never think like, you know, I'm like in my mind, I'm like, this is something that I would want to read. Like wrestling fans love comics, comic fan, you know? So why wouldn't, uh, why wouldn't this be something that somebody would want to carry? Um, but then, you know, wrestling or comics is so dominated by Marvel and DC, especially back then. Um, you know, it was probably, you know, 70% of the market share, 75% of the market share. So, you know, you start to learn about fighting for shelf space and, you know, getting in the book, you know, so there's a book that all these comic stores order out of called previews and the top, like you have to have like a, a certain amount of the market share to get in the front of the book and then everybody else goes in the back. And so, you know, you have Marvel and DC and image and dark horse in the front half. And then in the back you have, 200 other small publishers which makes it kind of difficult to get any kind of traction so you know all of these things are working against me and i had no idea and so you just keep having to to pivot to pivot to pivot you know um so for me the solution was to take it directly to wrestling fans so, you know, I would sell it out of my backpack at wrestling shows. I would set up tables at uh, indie shows. And uh, I worked uh, two jobs for over a year to put together the first uh, money for a print run, to pay for art, pay for printing, to pay for some convention tables. And then, you know, I just went out and took it out to people directly um, because nobody was doing that. And so it was kind of a space that, you know, I had to myself, but I still had to go, you know, stand in front of people and, you know, ring the bell, so to speak. So, um, you know, so that was how it, it started. And then uh, from there, I started to attract the attention of wrestlers who like comics. Uh, guys like Hurricane, Christopher Daniels, Rob Van Dam, you know, I would see them at Comic-Cons as fans. And nobody, you know, nobody at Comic-Con... It seems weird now, given what you and I do at Comic-Con, but back in the day, there was no, I mean, you didn't have wrestling at Comic-Con. Like maybe there'd be a couple guys doing autographs. And if there were, it was largely, you know, Virgil, Greg Valentine and Honky Tonk Man. And they're not there because they love comics. They're just there to sign some autographs and whatever. So as a wrestling fan, it's not even really represented at Comic-Con. So for a while, you know, I'm a very, you know, I'm like a unicorn in this space. And I still am at some shows to, to a certain extent, but, uh, you know, so I attracted these, you know, these wrestlers and then they would help me spread the word. Like, you know, guys like, you know, Shane has been such a, <laughs> such a help, you know, in terms of, you know, cause he was, you know, the hurricane and the wrestling superhero and whatever. So his weight, you know, his word with comics carries some weight. Rob Van Dam, you know, owned a comic book store, you know, his word carried some weight and, you know, and that sort of helped me. Uh, you know, get established. But I mean, a lot of the paths that I built, like, did not exist, you know, so there's a, you know, a machete, and <laughs> you're out in the brush, just cutting a cutting a trail. And, you know, I like to make the joke that, uh, you know, I cleared all the rocks off the campground. And now these guys are trying to pitch a tent in my yard. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, uh, go ahead. Yeah, as you know, for 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 us um, at Master Public, and, and the approach that we took with the Lugiverse, um, while not necessarily for the exact same reasons in the end, I guess it sort of, sort of was, uh, uh, on to some extent, you know, um, 
me not being a writer or comic book artist. Uh, I had to find both. And I knew that because of the IP rights, I wanted to make sure that we did own and uh, write, print, publish basically ourselves and with our publishing partner from the beginning as we attempt still at this point to go out and now develop it for, for film and TV. But, um, you know, being in that same position in terms of, you know, do we even go and try to work with a larger label? You know, I, like you said, in 12, 13 years ago, there was creator owned content, um, you know, image comics back in the nineties was built off of, you know, these creator owned properties, but it absolutely wasn't like it is today where there's an entire business model for half the industry of kind of a, a consistent formula and format for creating and, and taking your, your comic, your, you know, your scripts and your artists and going to uh, a publishing company and, and working with them. Like you said, for, for the, uh, for the independence, whether by choice or by, um, uh, just the way that things worked out, it, it is really, really hard to make that noise. And, and with Diamond being the way that most comic book stores only buy, because they, they like the convenience of having one place to shop for all their comics. Um, now it's a little bit different because in the last month or two, DC has kind of changed that game, but it's another podcast for another time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so, so the way that you kind of immediately pivoted uh, or after some of these first experiences pivoted to doing it on your own. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, starting to work with some of these wrestling superstars who had large followings, who had a public awareness, uh, which came first, the, the move to, to Kickstarter for funding or starting to do the, um, not main storyline volumes of, headlocked but the ones that were kind of co-written short stories with the talent so well that actually they actually kind of came together so um you know i had so i had published we published the first uh volume of headlocked and i had taken it around uh you know my first initial thought was if we could really you know put on a show at conventions and sell a lot of books and create a little buzz then the publishers would come to me. They'd be like, hey, you know, this guy's got big lines at Comic-Con and he's selling all his books and blah, 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 you know, that we should get in on this action. Because I still kind of needed distribution. Um, and this is, you know, 2010, 11, 12. I'm going through this. Um, and it's a much slower process back then. Um, but, uh, you know, so by this time I've got Jerry Lawler doing my covers and I'm, you know, just hitting shows and just trying to build something. But I, you know, I'm still pursuing publishers at this point, um, smaller publishers just to get it into stores. Cause my, my feeling is if I can get it on the shelf, I can, you know, I can drive people to it if I have to. Um, but then it's just, <laughs> it's the same. It was the same problem. Like, you know, I just, people just weren't into it. Um, I had a, you know, I was talking about it, but I had a guy from a, a major publisher laugh in my face. Um, and another guy from a major publisher, um, he let me make my pitch. The third word in my pitch was wrestling. And he said, wrestling, yeah, not <laughs> interested. And, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. And even the people who liked wrestling, you know what I mean? I had these publishers come to get their picture taken with Jerry and come to get his autograph and whatever, but couldn't see the value in what we were doing. Mm. And that part of it is, is, you know, extremely frustrating, but I kind of understand, you know I mean? Your customers of the direct market. And if the direct market isn't, you know, if they think wrestling comics don't sell because of years of awful WWE license books, then you know what I mean? Like they just see a wrestling comic and they're like, it's not going to go anywhere. And we'll be back in just a few moments with more with Michael Kingston as we get into details specifically about how he's worked with many of these pro wrestling superstars throughout the years. But first, let's head over to Lucha Central Central and check in with Denise Salcedo for what's on the network on all the other shows this week. 
Hey everyone, it's Denise Salcedo here in Lucha Central Central with a reminder of where and when to catch your favorite shows each week or when to try a new one. Tuesdays, it's the Lucha Underground centered show, Mass, Mats, and Mayhem. Check out the premiere video stream every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Lucha Central YouTube channel and at luchacentral.com. Then listen to it on your favorite podcast platform every Wednesday. Also on Tuesdays, it's Tuesday Wrestle Boss with Fabi Chulo, live covering pro wrestling and MMA from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Pacific. Head to WrestleBossLive.com to listen live and even call in or download it Wednesday across podcast platforms. Wednesday nights, live on Facebook, it's Spanish show La Mesa de los Margaros, giving you both the news and the chisme from around the lucha world. Find the video version on Facebook Wednesday through Friday, and then Saturdays, download the audio version in podcast form. Thursdays, it's straight out of the bodega with Papo Esco and PWR promoter Gabriel Ramirez. Guests from throughout the wrestling world make this a must-listen series, and this week, El Rudo de las Chicas, Sam Adonis, joins the show to talk about his non-traditional route to the main event of Arena Mexico, first making a name for himself in the UK and then Mexico and more. On Friday, it's your double dose of Lucha Central Weekly podcast, one in English y el otro en Español. Lucha Central Weekly is where you'll find all the top stories of the week, both inside and out of the ring from Mexico and anywhere luchadores are in action across the globe. Find out what's happening in empty arenas across Mexico, including chaos, lucha time, and the latest from Mas Lucha, as well as lucha action in WWE, NXT, and AEW. Also, if you missed any of last week's shows, including Vampiro on Lucha Libre figures and facts, Boss Fight Studios' Eric Araña on Business of the Business, or Thunder Rosa on Mass Mats and Mayhem, LuchaCentral.com has links to it all for you. Be sure to subscribe and follow all your favorite Lucha Central Network series on your favorite podcast platforms. And please be sure to give a rating and review to help more fans find the shows that you love. For now, this is Denise Salcedo signing off from Lucha Central Central. Have a great week. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, even for us, when we're out here developing um, not just comics, but whether it's publishing uh, in you know traditional books or TV, film, whatever, even for us with our focus in Lucha Libre and us trying to sell it more as uh, Hispanic heroes as opposed to Hispanic wrestlers, uh, it, you know, there, there was absolutely um, a publishing pitch that we did not that long ago where the person was just like, kind of like what you just said, like, oh, wrestling doesn't sell. And I was like, if that's really this property and all they see in it, then even if they did think it was going to sell, they are not going to know how to market this. They're not going to know how to position this. They're not going to know how to promote it. They're not going to believe in it. Um, and I think that that's, you know, only kind of... Um, inspired us uh for that particular series to look into again kind of doing something more direct to consumer um so i absolutely understand that frustration and that uh and that that plight um and so at some point you transition from trying to just self-fund these books uh still working multiple jobs i think right but you're the 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 crowdfunding world has has just really started to open up you know again we're talking many years ago it's not what it is today or what it was not then what it was today um and and as far as i recall in terms of uh at least a graphic novel presentation of wrestling and maybe all you can obviously tell me um you were really early with uh with kickstarter uh, early-ish, yeah. I mean, it was. I think we we ran it in 2013. Um, I had a couple friends that had successful campaigns, and I started looking around, and you know, I saw some some people making some big money, and 
you know, I mean, the one thing is obviously I've always believed in what we do and I know that there's an audience for it. If you can just get people to take some time to consider it. So, um, my goal though was with Kickstarter, the, the plan, and this is where the, sh- the short stories come in is, you know, we got to do something to, cause I've got such a convention presence at this point where, you know, I'll basically see some, you know, I'll see the same people every year at the same convention. So for, you know, the last three, four years, that's been the model. So every, you know, San Diego, let me, what do you got new? And they buy it and they buy it and they buy it. But now I need them to transition to a different platform. So I need to make it attractive. So my plan was to have content that I collaborated with several wrestlers on, you know, and for this, this, this first book, it was the original guys. It was Hurricane, Rob Van Dam, Christopher Daniels, uh, Ken Anderson did a piece of art. Sin Bodie did a piece of art. Um, Sam Shaw, Dexter Loomis, he did a piece of art. And that content was only available on Kickstarter. And so you could buy the book from me at a convention, but it was going to have 30 less pages in it. And that is how we've managed to get people to transition to this different platform. We give them a better book. And it hasn't hurt our sales at conventions at all. I mean, you know what I mean? We, we just had to get enough of the people from the convention, you know, the convention and online store buying thing to go to the Kickstarter just to get enough to be able to, to fund the book. And then once it's funded, I mean, the, the model's still the same. You're doing shows, you're selling online, we're going to wrestling shows and all that. So it, uh, and it worked out great, you know? So we, we started collaborating on this content together and we do short stories and, uh, and then that became our way to, you know, and now, I mean, we, we generally get funded very quickly. Um, you know, usually within the first week, week and a half, because we, we, you know, you build up a fan base and, you know, they know to get in on it early. So let's take a step back, um, for a moment and talk about the collaborating with these actual wrestling superstars. Um, and let's, let's first talk Jerry Lawler, because that was something that became part of the, uh, headlocked, um, process and uh, headlocked books very early on and with jerry lawler for those who are listening that don't really know the rest of the world you have a wwe hall of famer somebody who was is very well known to wrestling fans um in memphis tennessee where where he's from and based he is a local legend local hero uh, back in the day the TV ratings for Memphis wrestling, uh, you know, were, were more than 50% of the city of Memphis were watching on their TV sets at, at that time. Um, so he's got quite a history uh, and, and was, was known somewhat for his art. There's a great classic story of you know, his very first thing he ever did in wrestling was he sent in a drawing of his to the Memphis wrestling show back when he was uh, young and they showed it on air. And so, uh, you've got this celebrity who is also an artist and you end up in a position where he's doing uh, Norman Rockwell-esque uh, covers for your your books. How did that relationship come together? And, um, you know, what was it like the first time you, you started to kind of put together the business dealings with him in terms of... Um, you know, was this something that you were anxious about or, or did you think this was an easy sell or how, how were you approaching it and how did it happen? It's just the dumbest thing, man. I mean, it still always feels very surreal to me. Um, but, uh, I sent him an email through his website, but literally forgot I did it after I did it. Like it was such a, like almost a lark to me. Like I was like, yeah, you know, Jerry Lawler does art. Maybe I can get him to do a cover for me, you know? So I sent him an email and then maybe like two weeks later, I get a response back and it's, you know, Hey, I'd love to look at your books. Um, send me some books. Here's my address. In my mind, I'm still dealing with a webmaster. I mean, I know now that Jerry answers his own email, but (laughs) back then I just assumed he had like a webmaster or something. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a network of people behind Jerry, but that's not who he is, you know? Um, and then uh, maybe about a week after I sent him out, I get a phone call on the me- or a phone call, and I work at night. You know, I'm I'm at work and I work in a warehouse and it's loud or whatever, and I have to duck into this little shipping office and you know 
He's like, Hey, Mike, this is Jerry Lawler. And I'm like, you know, like (laughs) if if there was a way to fake a voice, I would have assumed it was a gag, but obviously his, his voice is so distinct. Um, and, uh, he was like, yeah, he's like, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to do this. You know, I, I, I always wanted to come back around, you know, the reason he, you know, as you mentioned, the reason he got into wrestling was through sending his drawings into Memphis wrestling. And he's like, I always wanted to circle back around to do art. And, uh, so he said that, you know, he goes, I'd love to do it. Um, I was like, Oh, that's great. And, uh, so, so, uh, the other thing about Jerry is that he's an amazing artist, but he's also, I mean, he's a super busy guy. Like he's his own little industry. He's doing, you know, at the time he's doing voiceovers for Monday Night Raw. He's still wrestling on the weekends. He's doing video game voiceovers down, you know, at Stanford or, you know, so he's all over the place, super busy. Also, he's just like, he's a world champion procrastinator. So, <laughs> Every piece of art he's ever done looks exactly like Norman Rockwell did it. And it was done in a day and it was done on the day that it had to be done. <laughs> and originally super nerve wracking just because, you know, in my mind, I'm like, you know, come on, let's get this thing done, you know? So, um, so I met him at a show at a, you know, he wrestled a lot for Northeast wrestling, um, up here. So, you know, most of those shows are close to my house. So I met him after a show and he's like, you know, I put some stuff together. I want you to take a look at it. So he showed me a sketch and, uh, I was like, Oh, this looks great. You know, I'm, I'm 100% good with this, you know, just let me know when you finish. So then nothing, nothing, nothing. And, uh, so finally I'm like, listen, I got to have this on this day. And he's like, okay. He's like, I'll have it done when, you know, and there was, there happened to be another, Northeast wrestling show, um, in another part of the Northeast. So he's like, I'll have it done at the show. So I get to the show and I see him. He goes, all right. He goes, I didn't get a chance to finish it, but he goes, I'll finish it overnight and I'll have it for you in the morning. (laughs) All right, fine. So I leave the show. I drive home like two and a half hours. I drive back two and a half hours, you know, and I, I go to his hotel and he's like, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm just sitting down to work on it. Okay, and he takes it out, and it's the it's the exact same sketch he showed me like two months ago. <laughs> so he hadn't touched it in two months. So and then he sat down and he worked on it, and it was I mean, first of all, I mean it's amazing to watch watch him work because he's such an amazing artist, and he's so like he's just a natural talent. Like, and he's always been a natural talent. Like some people just have it and some people have to work at it, you know? So, and so his, the hotel doors open and I'm sitting on the bed and I'm watching him work and like wrestlers are walking by and like, you know, Samoa Joe was on that show and he like comes in and sits on the bed and we're watching Jerry Payne. Like, it's so cool. You know? And I had known, I had met Joe, you know, before that. Um, and, uh, Guys are just popping in and out, watching Jerry, you know, do his That's thing, awesome. you know. And then he, he finishes it and he gives it to me and I, you know, I take it home. And uh, he, uh, you know, it's a bang-up job. It's amazing, you know. And then, uh, you know, now I'm used to it. Um, you know, we've been talking during the pandemic because he's got to do a cover for Tales from the Road. And, you know, <laughs> hasn't done it. And at some point I'm just going to be like, listen, I need to buy this day. And then he's going to do it on that day. And it's going to be amazing. And it is what it is. And I, I have a comfort level with it now, but you know, at the beginning it was super nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can imagine. Um, so like you mentioned, Lawler at the time, uh, under a WWE contract doing voiceovers for Monday night raw, but also wrestling independently. Uh, at any point in time, was his WWE contract of concern with doing this project? Did that ever enter into it? No, because he was on an announcer deal. So the announcers have more freedom to do outside stuff. So, um, you know, that's why I was able to use him early on. Booker T did a piece of art for my second book, my second Kickstarter. Um, you know, I've talked to Corey Graves before about doing something. Like the guys that are just on straight announcing deals – they they don't have the same type of uh, the same type of issue. 
And as I've come to find out, I mean, I'm not going to name names, but there's guys obviously that have done work for me while under WWE contract and WWE doesn't really give me a hard time. They've never given me a hard time about anything. Um, one time, one of their trademark lawyers was upset that, or not upset at me, but at a show for using a picture they owned of Jerry, and which was weird to me because he was their employee at the time. Um, and they made us switch it. But other than that, I, I guess what I was told is that, you know, they turn over these guys all the time that are looking for trademark infringement. And like when they start, they're always like super hardcore. That's how you end up with stuff like that. And then it, you know, they sort of ease into the job and then they're like, Oh, this isn't a big deal. So but for the most part, I've never really, I've never had an issue with WWE ever. They've always been, uh, hands off. They've never really get, they've never given me a hard time. So I've been pretty lucky in that regard. Excellent. So, then you moved on, uh, as you mentioned, and you put together this first book that included stories or art by known talents, Hurricane Helms, Ken Anderson, um, uh, Sin Bodhi, Booker T. So let's talk a little bit. So we're, we're, first off, were all of those talents just completely independent at the time? Um, were any of them under contract anywhere or uh, was this kind of, for most of them in their first post WWE period. I think so. Rob might've been under contract to impact possibly. Um, but I don't think so. I think that they were all Daniels. Daniels was definitely under contract with impact at the time. Uh, well, TNA as it were, um, but I don't know if Rob was yet. But for the most part, I think, uh, you know, Helms, I think, was a free agent at that point. I think Helms was under contract to, uh, he did that, uh, was it American Lucha? What the hell was that? In the West Coast, there was some, like, Lucha thing. And, uh, like, he was in it, and Molina and somebody, whatever. He was under contract to them. He had their belt and everything. Um but, uh, yeah, I mean, nobody ever really, you know, I've never had an issue with anybody contractually. So, I mean, I'm kind of under everybody's radar. And honestly, I'm not using anybody's likeness when I do it. You know what I mean? I, I use them as authors of stories. So that's yeah, that usually what people be, get upset about. Yeah, that was my next question. In terms of kind of the versions of the names you use of talent or um, – you know, is that, uh, you know, Hurricane Helms, um, you know, is it is it Shane Helms that you have to use? Can you use the Hurricane name? Um, those types of questions. Are those things you have to really take into consideration when you're considering how you're listing people? I mean, I haven't, and I probably should, but, you know, sometimes, I mean, like right now, I mean, I've, uh, um, Dolph Ziggler's doing a story for the book for tales from the road and he is obviously under contract. So, but he has a little bit of freedom because he does comedy and he's got so much tenure there. Like he's got it worked into his contract. That's not that big of a deal. So he, you know, I guess I've used his name, but, and he hasn't said not to. So I mean, everything seems like it's been fine. I don't know. Like I said, I've been pretty lucky to avoid all that stuff, but good. So, Let's talk a little bit about the actual process when you're co-writing stories with some of these talents. Um, what is that like? Where does that process normally begin? And you know, are you are you dealing with kind of a, a range of you know, these set of talents? They really want to be involved with the story, and they're you know they're with me every step of the way. As opposed to, I know that you know, for example, when we. Uh, worked together to bring Penta Zero M to your book. It was really more of a outline of a story and some kind of key ideas. And then you went and and wrote a story that he looked at and said, this is awesome. And, you know, you kind of worked together that way. So um, how does it kind of usually break down when you're working with the talents? It's different for everybody. Um, you know, like Nick Foley wrote a, wrote like a whole prose story, um, that was probably about 24 pages of story that we had to, you know, it was supposed to be six, but I probably could have been a whole issue. And I think we got it down to nine pages, um, which kind of was a difficult, you know, just a thing we had to work around. 
like if we were probably if we were a bigger publisher like that had like very tight you know schedules and budgets and weights and stuff or whatever it probably would have been an issue but i just added three more pages to the book um the you know the there's a little flexibility in being smaller i guess um but you know um chris daniels wrote uh like an actual comic script um you know we just i just finished a, a story with shad gaspard right before he passed well actually it was crime time but he sent like a whole thing with like panel layouts and stuff um oh wow and uh you know but he had done storyboarding and stuff for his uh you know and he was a screenwriter and he had written some comics in the past too so it's it's different for everybody you know when i when i did the story with rick flair like we sat down and we had some drinks and uh we just sort of went you know i presented an idea and then we went back and forth a little bit and then you know i wrote it i sent it to him and then you know, he gives me some notes, kind of in the same way that Penta's deal was. And, uh, you know, and then, we're, you know, we get a, to a point where we're happy with it. So um, different people have different – I try to get most of it, you know, in the first pass. Like, I don't – you know, for the most part, I uh, I feel like I know what I'm doing now. And <laughs> I, I generally uh, – you know, you get some notes here and there, but nothing major. No one's ever been like, you know, I hate this or whatever. You know, we That's good. We 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 get that part out early, you know, the the macro stuff and then you know, if you got to change a couple things, it's not a big deal. So let's kind of I guess jump forward to where you are now. Um I guess there's a, there's a few different pieces to this. Obviously, 2020 uh for trying to do self promoted self-distributed convention and live event based uh comic book sales not the best year um and in the midst of this all you launched your most recent kickstarter uh which like you mentioned you know kind of as tendency has with your stuff out the gate did tremendous right away um so i guess let's let's take a step back to um the current campaign in the current book uh kind of walk us through a little bit about what this where are we in the kind of the overall headlock saga and what is the kind of uh, roster of bonus content that's been put together for this current campaign that people can still um get in on so you know headlocked itself is a is this this one you know the story of mike hartman and it's his journey through the wrestling business now, obviously, that gives us a very narrow focus on what the, you know, what you see. You know what I mean? If you're a, you know, if you're a kid in wrestling school, you know, you're aware of wrestlers and stuff. You know, you, you know the universe, but you don't see anybody. You see the people you go to wrestling school with and, and that little ecosystem that you exist. In. So I took the opportunity when we were creating these stories with different wrestlers to just sort of build out corners of the universe. Um, you build out locales, um, you introduce characters and some of them are, you know, some of them you might never see in the main headlock book. Some of, you know, some of the places, um, you know, will eventually take Mike Hartman through. Um, it's, uh, you know, and some of them are just fun stories that, you know, you got something to say, we want to say it, you know? So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a little mixture. You know, the stories are a little mixture of, stuff um some of them are little side stories with characters that exist in the series and some of them are, are brand new characters so it's fun to play around you know we do you know stories and you know headlocked is a straight drama like you said like sort of a you know prestige cable drama type story but uh you know the stories and tales from the road are in a, a variety of different genres um you know we did a story with uh Do- dominic dijakovic and uh, I still want to call him Dijak, but uh, <laughs> the uh, you know that's sort of a horror-based story. And we just did a story with Taya that's uh, a secret agent story, and uh, you know the story with Gangrel involves Bigfoot, and they're they're all like just super fun stories, um, but they all deal with wrestling, and you know for the most part, we're able to tie them all back into some sort of reality. Um, 
but it just gives us an opportunity to sort of tell different kinds of stories and flex our muscles a little bit in some other in some other uh, genres, and that it makes it fun for me too because you know it's it kind of gives me an oppor- an opportunity to do a little bit of everything all under the same umbrella. So, um, you know, <laughs> I watched that terrible uh, Cats adaptation that they did not too long ago, you know, and then like just my mind gets thinking, I'm like, man, can I do like a cats based wrestling story? You know what I mean? And sometimes <laughs> you just, you know, and, and it's, it's fun. Cause then you just, it gets your mind going and you start, it's like a, it's like a puzzle, you know, and you try to figure your way through it. And, uh, and that's the kind of stuff that sort of creatively excites me. Um, so, you know, whenever I, whenever I, whenever I'm dealing with talent, I, I know their time is limited. And anybody that's doing stuff for me is basically is doing me a favor, um, you know. So I try not to waste people's time. So I usually try to come with a couple of ideas for them. So then you try to think about, you know, who they are, what they're about, you know. So like, you know, when you do a story with Kenny Omega, I'm like, yeah, we're going to want to do a video game story, you know. And, uh, you know, I mean, pitch the story idea for Taya, you know, my mind went to, you know, to Lucha and maybe we make it like, you know, and we made it a riff on, you know, Santo, Santo movies. So I try to come with a couple of different ideas that are somewhat, you know, related to that person and their, you know, and their character and, you know, the things that they're into because you want them to be excited about it too. But, you know, figuring that out is, is half the fun. So in just looking, uh, I jumped onto the Kickstarter page real quick. Uh, so stories in this current edition by Christopher Daniels, who's a part of AEW, Dolph Ziggler, WWE, Dominic Dajakovic, uh, NXT, Gangrel, who's a former WWE superstar, Hurricane Helms, who's uh, not only a WCW uh WWE superstar, but works behind the scenes now at WWE. Joey Janela, AEW superstar. Uh, Michael Kingston, who'd be you. Uh, Mustafa Ali, WWE superstar. MVP, WWE superstar. Uh, Rob Van Dam, Impact superstar, former WWE superstar. Samoa Joe, WWE superstar. Uh, Taya Valkyrie, Impact Wrestling. Young Bucks uh, from AEW. Uh, so, th- I mean, that's a killer killer lineup and it's not like you know it's not just ww wrestlers not just impact it's, you've got talent from across the spectrum um a long list of artists who are known artists um uh whether they're kind of more underground known artists or whether they're you know people who have credits um some of the bigger companies i really love the cover that i saw from uh, jay gonzo for the taya story i think that's a great one um and so I guess, again, just to kind of reiterate the model, if somebody wants the version of the latest edition of the drama uh, that includes all these stories, you've got to get in on the Kickstarter version, right? That's not the version that will later be sold at conventions and uh, at shows, correct? Correct. Yeah. All right. So uh, the date on this is... Let's see where we. I just had seen it. Uh, it's on July twenty seventh. All right. So if you are listening right after, to this, right after Monday Night Raw. <laughs> ah, all right. So if you're listening to this uh, prior to July twenty seventh, uh, definitely head over to Kickstarter and check out Headlock. Just look up Headlock. I'll put the link to it um, in the uh, summary of this episode as well. And then. If by chance you are listening to this after, uh, you can always go to uh, the Headlock website and purchase uh, the back issues, and you can uh, you know wait until this uh, is completed to pick it up. But um, you know, I I've been even before Michael and uh, Master Public started working together, sharing convention space. Uh, I was a, a fan of the book. I have every single uh, edition from from the very beginning. And uh, that's one of the reasons why it was um, a lot of fun to be able to uh, team up with Michael and and start doing conventions together. Uh, generally, uh, we do San Diego Comic Con together, and it's been great to uh, see, the, like, like Michael mentioned, you know, um, there's this headlocked fan base that every year I'm seeing coming back and picking up the latest books and uh, coming to see, you know, what, what stars are, signing at the booth um 
you know, and I guess that's really, you know, another part of the business model. Like, I guess you did mention that towards the beginning of, you know, bringing these stars to conventions. Uh, these, a lot of these are still hot, you know, on TV today stars. So they're bringing that foot traffic to the booth for people to come see them. And hopefully they're learning about a lot of them are learning about headlock, um, you know, for the first time picking up books. Um, and also in, in terms of the Kickstarter, depending on the level that people jump in at you can get back issues as well to kind of catch up on the the main story as to to where it is um you know we've mentioned a couple of times now that this is a very uh premium cable type of a of a story um i'm sure at some point you've you've had uh, thoughts of taking it off of the page and onto the screen uh is is there anything in that direction that um you can kind of talk about that journey at this point. I mean, there's always smoke. I mean, I had a little, I had a little, a little dalliance with the rock there for a minute. Um, but that was right. Sort of when he became like, uh, right. Like it was right. It happened right when he became like Disney Superman. And I think that the, the material was probably darker than he wanted to be associated with at that point, which is unfortunate, but you know, I feel like if maybe if I had caught him like five years prior, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, maybe you make headlock instead of ballers, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, and I, and I understand, you know, he's got a, he's got a brand and he is a very brand oriented man. Um, so, you know, and there's always people sniffing around and, you know, I get emails, you know, here and there. And I've talked to TV writers and producers and all of that stuff. Um, and it's fun. It's it's at least nice that people are more open to it now. You know, for years, I would go to San Diego and I would have, you know, before the first couple of years after like X-Men hit at the box office, like nobody understood comics. They just knew that comic book movies were hot and you just have Hollywood people randomly wandering around Comic-Con and just looking at um, looking at stuff to to potentially option. And it was an interesting time, you know, I mean, now everybody kind of knows who the players are and you have your meetings and none of that stuff really happens on the floor. It's all kind of set, but you know, for a while you would just see these producers and stuff and, you know, I would, I would meet people with varying levels of interest, but the, one of the things that people would always say to me that I always found amusing was, well, you know, they already made the wrestling movie. (laughs) And yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. I was like, well, I guess it's a good thing they didn't tell the guys that made Goodfellas that you know they already made the mob movie, right? And, <laughs> you know, but the 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 weird, the weirdest. I've, I mean, I you hear so much, so oh, I know bad excuses, <laughs> and you know, but it's funny because people are people get in their own bubble. I mean, this is a fun story, but I was at C2E2 one year with the you know and the the showrunner for Lucha Underground came to my table and you know because we had a bunch of people there and i was telling him about headlocked and he was like yeah i don't really read comics and i'm like listen i'm like how are you of all people gonna do that to me and he goes, what do you mean and i'm like how many people have you had to tell lucha underground isn't like wrestling and he goes oh man he goes i did i goes, i just did that to you people do that to me all the time and he didn't even realize that he had done that do you know what i mean because you end up with your own preconceived notions and you end up in your sure. own little bubbles and stuff. And and that's always been the hardest thing is dealing with sort of the, the preconception that people outside of the wrestling business have wrestling. And then for me also the, the sort of misconceptions people have about comics, because when people think about comic book movies, they don't think about history of violence or road to perdition or ghost world. They think about superheroes. You know, a lot of times people say comic books when they mean superheroes Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so doing a straight drama, I mean, no one's doing a straight drama in comics. I, I think except for me, I mean, everything's got genre elements in it. Um, but you know, I'm doing a straight drama cause you know, nobody was doing wrestling comics when I was doing them either. So, you know, I guess I've always got to be difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, I wish you nothing but the best, um, you know, I think it goes without saying at this point. I I think it definitely deserves to be developed for for the screen. Um, I understand the 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 journey. You know, I mean, honestly, um, 
you know, my decision to do the Luchaverse as a comic book universe stems from a lot of the things that you talked about. Um, you know, I kind of got tired of trying to sell Hollywood on essentially rebooting the Lucha Libre film genre of the 60s and 70s and having people have, you know, this excuse or that excuse for what I thought were bad excuses for why it, it didn't make sense. And I was seeing all of these comic books get optioned for film and TV. Some that were definitely, I thought, you know, things that, that would make awesome film and TV. And a lot of them that I thought were kind of head scratchers. And a lot of them that to this day have not seen the light of day in terms of um, fully being developed into a TV pilot or being developed into um a film, you know, and, and I know some properties just take forever. I mean, Lock and Key, I think the story with that was that there was at least two, if not three different signed deals, uh, pilots made, things put together, and it took a decade or whatever it was uh, for Lock and Key to get made for, for Netflix earlier this year. Um, and, yeah, you know, I decided that we would we would put the pen to the paper um, and we would create the universe of the comic book universe. And, and I was very adamant with um, you know, our partner on that, uh, Ivan Plaza at Cheeto Comics, that, you know, this wasn't just a, a cheap play to have a, a, a book in our hands and say, hey, OK, now let's develop this. I wanted to make sure that the comic books absolutely stood on their own um, as comic books and that, you know, worst case scenario, hopefully we you know broke even on the comics and uh uh, we, we, nothing else ever happened, but it's the same type of, uh, of a situation as we've talked to people, um, more so on the publishing side and, and kind of getting that, oh, wrestling has been done or, oh, wrestling doesn't sell or, oh, you know, it's, it's just Mexican wrestling when it's like, no, this is, this is superheroes. We're telling superhero stories. We're telling horror stories or we're telling, um, you know, uh, comedy, action adventure stories. And it just so happens that they star luchadors, but don't, uh, you know, don't wrap this all into th this impression that you might have of it uh, until you've actually taken a look at, at what it is that we're, we're bringing to the table. And so um, I feel your pain. I, uh, I, I wish you nothing but the best, not only in, in this current Kickstarter, but um, you know, hopefully people understanding and seeing this this amazing uh story world that you've created that has uh, so much potential you know across the books that have already been released but where to even go from here um yeah and as well i i've really enjoyed the collaborations with the talent um so anybody listening that has even a remote interest in comic books or uh you know pro wrestling storytelling that's not done inside the ring i encourage you to check out kickstarter get in on this uh, tales from the road and um pick up the previous one uh as well um of course personally uh i'm, I'm very much looking forward to the tie of valkyrie one uh, not only because she is a master public legends of lucha libre like, legend of lucha libre client um but uh I love where you're going with it and with the story uh, hearkening back to the old Lucha films. Like I mentioned, the, the cover by uh, Jay Gonzo is, or the art for it by Jay Gonzo is looking incredible. Um, so Michael, I guess just to wrap it up, um, obviously we've talked about the Kickstarter, but where else can people find and follow uh, your adventures and uh, Headlock's adventures and know when conventions start again, uh, how to find you at a show? Everything, uh, all our social media is headlocked comic. It's one word and, uh, it's all run by me. So, um, you know, I'm usually not hard to find if people got questions or, you know, a few questions about the books or if you're trying to break into comics and you want to hear about all the mistakes not to make, <laughs> you know, I can tell you all the things I did so you can not do them. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's it's been a labor of love and you know if it never becomes anything more than a comic book i mean i only really ever set out to make a cool comic book and it's already exceeded my wildest dreams i mean like when you know when you see the list of people that you know i have in this book like it's a it's a dream come true you know so uh, you know hurricane was you know as a comic book fan hurricane was one of my favorite wrestlers and now he's one of my best friends and how you know it's just all you know 
how crazy is that? So, I mean, everything's good for me. I'm all, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm working on house money at this point. All right. Well, that's good. That's good. I will right, thank you so much for uh, joining me today, and uh, I look forward to seeing what's next for Headlock. Thanks for once again joining me on Business of the Business. It was great to talk with Michael about the comic book world. Next episode, we're going to jump back into the toy and action figure world. But, oh man, it's going to be so much more than that. Um, I think that when it comes to just interesting and inspiring and motivated business people that I know, this one uh, ranks up near the top, if not at the top. So I am excited to be back two weeks from now with the next episode of Business of the Business. And it will be dropping on the same day that the AEW action figures drop at Walmart. And my guest will be the man responsible for making that happen. Talk to you in two weeks. For now, follow Masked Republic at Masked Republic and get all of your Lucha Libre news every day at LuchaCentral.com. If you're listening to this and you haven't visited LuchaCentral.com, it's time to do it. LuchaCentral.com is the online home for Lucha Libre, where you can get all of the top news in English and in Spanish. Find the best curated video content and original content not seen anywhere else. Find when Lucha Libre events would be happening in your area. Find photo galleries from top photographers covering Lucha Libre around the world. From weekly polls to annual awards. Seen and read by top executives in all of the major Lucha Libre promotions across the globe. And on top of that, it's free. LuchaCentral.com, your centralized place for all things Lucha Libre.